Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. I'm Katrina. And I'm Elizabeth. And welcome back, Elizabeth. How was your your Easter break? Yes, it was relaxing. Thank you. We went up to Northumberland in the northeast of the UK um, to see my husband's family. So that was nice. Long beach walks and dog walks and yeah it was lovely and I think you've had a well I hope you've had a nice time mm, yeah thank you we went to um visit some of my husband's friends uh, near a place called Elche in the southeast of Spain quite near Alicante and uh we spent the first part of the holiday staying on a, a renovated farm house so my boys loved picking vegetables and seeing what eggs had been laid by the hens and uh yeah it felt really nourishing and then we spent the rest of it in the city of Elche um, which is famed for its palms um, palm trees hmm. and uh, it's actually got I think got the most palm trees in Europe in in that area of Elche um, so yeah it was a, a very nature-filled time and I uh, I picked my first ever lemon um, I know there were lemon lemon bushes and orange bushes all around hmm. the the farmhouse area and yeah, surprisingly hard. I realized I was using a bad technique. I now know that you have to twist them. Twist. Yeah. Nice. Didn't, didn't, didn't know that. Well, it's not really a skill you need in the UK, is it? No, not <laughs> really. Lemons. No. So today, Elizabeth, we are keen to explore um, what our next right steps are, what movement in the right direction looks like. It's kind of theme has come up for us both personally individually professionally um and also as unfurling you know what's our next right step today's episode is the final episode of season two there will be more but there will be a a pause we're going to take a break Mm. um, and we'll tell you more about where we're looking to put our attention and energy uh, towards the end of this episode yeah, so we were, we were thinking about this this theme. We thought it'd be brilliant to bring someone else in to to help us with inspiration, guidance, thoughts. And my friend Robbie Swale came to mind. I think Elizabeth, we can just dive straight in with Robbie. Well, it is with real pleasure uh, that we introduce Robbie Swale to you all. Robbie is a leadership coach um, with a particular interest in creativity. He is a writer and recently published author, and he's one of my friends. Um, (laughs) We uh, have known each other probably for about five or six years now, and um, through the coaching world, um, we also live about five minutes away from one another. Um, We have kids roughly the same age. Robbie actually for me was a real inspiration um, in getting unfurling off the ground. So back in the autumn of 2019, uh, Robbie asked me to be on his podcast, The Coach's Journey, um, which explores how different coaches have, have approached their coaching businesses and lives. And I really didn't know what a podcast was. I just knew that I had to turn up at a certain time and I'd be recorded on Zoom and we'd have a chat. And uh, Robbie, I, I mean, even this week, 
someone messaged me to say that they just listened to our episode and it had given her this real sense of peace. It was wonderful watching you go through that process of getting that idea off the ground, um, all the mechanics of it, being brave and approaching people to do that um, with you. And, and for me, you know, my side, just seeing that that still has impact in the world. So welcome. Um, it's really nice to, to gently turn the tables today um, and bring you into this conversation. And, and perhaps, Robbie, if you want to just tell us a bit more about yourself and about the work that you do to start us off, that'd be great. Yeah, well, it's meaningful for me to hear that you uh, introduced me in that way and, and talk about my role in this podcast. Um, I think that, you know, when I think about the work that I do these days, I think about it in different ways. But certainly my book, which is called How to Start When You're Stuck, which came out last year and is part of a series, you know, that's that's part of one of the things that I do work on that I'm very interested in, which is why do people sometimes really want to make something and not make it? Why do sometimes people really want to do something on some level, at least they tell themselves they do, and then they don't do it. There's some kind of something very interesting in there. And really, that's partly interesting to me because of um, because of my own struggles. And what you saw with the podcast, I guess, was maybe the third, the fourth, the fifth iteration of me kind of doing what I needed to do in order to make something. And what I love about the way you told that story particularly, or one of the many things is I just got this insight, which is like, which I forget, right? Which is that when you make something, you know, and, and yes, you were involved in this. So I invited you to be a part of the, the creation of that episode. But when you make something, yes, it has the power to inspire people through whatever it is you've made, right? Whether that's a, in this case, a podcast and you then making a podcast, you know, you're also doing that. Um, but, but it could be something you've written, something you've created in another way, a change you've made in your life. But even by the act of making, there is a way in which that is also um, inspiring and can can be the thing that that gets somebody else making too, and and really that that's what the book is about. Um, so there are kind of you know it's worth saying there are other parts of my work. I do some work on leadership and and thinking quite a lot about what does it mean for people to stay true to themselves whilst also succeeding not having that kind of false assumption that they have to compromise themselves in order to, to, to reach a new level of success. Um, and also I'm really interested in the coaching world. That's why my podcast is about coaching and how do we support coaches and what is it about that craft that, that has an important role to play in the world. And we could talk about either of those, but it feels like in a way today, we one of the things we're here to think about is, is more the creativity piece. So what is it that, that gets people taking the steps in the right direction? How can we help people do that? Or how can we help ourselves do that? Um, and the, the book was, it, it, I hope it does that both in the content of it, which is about the, this kind of idea of how do we start when we're stuck and also in the way it was created, um, which is in, a, is in an emergent way. And it was really created essentially accidentally. Uh, and, and it's still one of the most remarkable things about that I've experienced in my life is to accidentally realize that over three years I'd written not just one book, but four books about something um, through a writing practice I had. And I could jump into that now, but I'm aware I've been talking for a few minutes. So we might want to check in on, on, on where we're going. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I received my copy um, through my door and your book's genuinely really easy to read. Like I was just like, this is cool. I can do this quickly. Like I can actually read this and I can hear your voice as you, as you write, it's not pretentious at all. It's just really straightforward, but but inspiringly written. 
there's a few things that really jumped out at me and and you named one of them, which is the emergent nature of how you created it. And that idea of not having it all pre-planned, but the sense of it being created through the process of creation. Something else I really enjoyed was you were really clear about naming the fact that you want to release the creative potential of people and therefore of the world. I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about why why that's so important to you. Why, why do you want to see this creative potential in us as individuals and collectively? You know, why is that such an important thing for you right now? Yeah, I think there's kind of two well, there's probably lots of levels to it, but there's two levels to that, that that jumped out for me, Elizabeth, when you asked that. One is the kind of internal human experience of what I think of these days as creative hell. Like, I can't think of many experiences in my life that have felt so like hell as moments of wanting to be doing something, to be able to do something and feeling on some level unable to do it. Mm-hmm. And for me, those have been big things in in you know um for some reason adolescent romance has just come into my mind it's like that you know that was like one of the early ones for me it's just like the inability somehow to take the risks to create connections with people i wanted to create connections with but also um wanting to sing at a karaoke party and just feeling truly unable to do it and also wanting to write or start a business um, and and feeling unable to do so and that feeling of creative hell i can kind of feel coming back into me now and one of the things we can you know one of the ways i think about my work these days this is a relatively new thing is or if what if the shared purpose of humanity you know, we need, we need some quite grand, so this is a question that one of my mentors asked me, like, you know, if we want to think about our purpose, mm. we have to, one of the places we might start is what's the shared purpose of humanity? Mm. And then what's the way in which we are a part of the story? How do we want to be a part of that story? And, and what's the way we might do that? And um, that's from Robert Holden's work. And to think about something so grand as the shared purpose of humanity, we, you know, actually it's quite hard to do that on, on the kind of rational level. And where I got to with answering that was, I felt like, you know, I needed some language that we might think of as being poetic or almost mythical, because often in myths and poetry, you can capture a concept uh, much greater depth and nuance than you can by trying to write it out in sentences. And the words that came to my mind was, we have to create the, the shared purpose of humanity could be to create the kingdom of heaven on earth. And it's almost mm-hmm. like you don't need, uh, don't need to explain what most of that means because it, it, those concepts are so deeply embedded in society. And one of the ways to do that is to think internally, right? So it's to think like, where is hell on earth? And one of the places I've found hell on earth is the gap between knowing what I want to do and not feeling able to do it. So that's one of the reasons it's meaningful to me. Mm. Another is a kind of more high level, um, maybe systemic way of thinking about that idea of creating heaven on earth. I should say I'm not religious in any way really so it's quite strange that i'm talking about heaven Mm. Um, but it's like that's almost the language we need because i don't know what that would look like i've got no idea but it's got the sense in it and if we're going to do that um what i've noticed about creative hell is is mostly pointing at things which are which on on some level the person believes are good true or beautiful so actually, if we can shift everybody out of creative hell and into creativity, what will emerge is likely to be good, 
true and beautiful. And I'm not smart enough to know what that looks like either. I don't think any human is, but if, if even, you know, 10,000 more people wrote the good, true and beautiful thing they want to write or, or mm. express their love in a new way or, um, you know, sang, mm. whatever those things are, then I can be pretty confident that the world moves in a good direction from that place. And as someone mm. who doubts things a lot and worries a lot, it's quite hard to be sure that you're doing something that contributes positively. And so one of the things I'm looking for when I'm thinking about what I do is what can I do when I'm pretty sure it creates the conditions for good change and that I'm not making things worse? Because it's very easy to righteously make things worse in the world. Yeah, there's so much there. Um, and this, the, the good, true and beautiful almost feels to me linked to what we were thinking about with this episode, which is, you know, how do, how do you follow the way of truth and beauty and goodness and let that guide you? I loved how in your book you talked about where is the feeling greater and following the feeling and life happening through you and this sense of having this kind of compass that you use to, to guide your work. As you know, the theme of unfurling is all about finding inspiration and being informed by the natural world and then thinking about how we can use that in our individual and collective realities today. I'm curious, what, what does the natural world mean for you and how has it inspired you or motivated you in your work and life more widely? Mm. Um, I'm someone who grew up in the Yorkshire countryside. And when if you grow up in the Yorkshire countryside, at least in my experience, what happens is you don't appreciate that till you leave it. And then you grow and you develop and you change and then you go back. And every time I go back to the rundown but amazing little 17th century farmhouse that I was at the absolute privilege to grow up in. And I one and that after I've got I usually get there at night because we travel up from London. And then the next morning, going out of the front door onto this um into the garden, which you know, is this, this is like makes this makes just a little aside. This makes moving house in your thirties really hard because you're trying to trying to recreate what what I had when I was growing up. And what I had when I was growing up is stepping out into this garden on a valley overlooking, sweeping down to a small river, and then up to moorland. Mm-hmm. And whenever I step out into that garden at first thing in the morning, or I sit on my mum and dad have recently. Um, created a little patio where it used to be the compost heap right so that like the last bit of sun in their garden used to shine on the compost heap in the bottom of the garden and then they realized we could, we could actually have it shining on us while we're eating our dinner and drinking wine and so if I, also if i stand there at the end of the day with the sun going down i'll sit on the bench i get this feeling which is what i now there's two ways i two things i now associate that feeling with so one is there's some research on on um, happiness i came across it and it's it's a book it's a book called the happiness hypothesis by jonathan Haidt, where he pulls together lots of research on on happiness and what it means and one of the types of happiness that's been researched is this feeling of elevation mm. so it's the same feeling we get when we're like at a concert with thirty thousand people singing a song together or um in a religious ceremony um and uh, we get it with nature it's one of the ways to get that particular kind of um that particular kind of uh, happiness, that feeling of elevation. And the other way that, uh, the other thing that I, so, so it gives me that, right? And that's a kind of energy that it's not that easy to get. And certainly over COVID, like it was really, 
obvious to me that I had none of that. I had none of the stuff part of that that I get from living in the one of the most alive cities in the world. I had I had no chance to go to a, a an event with even two thousand people singing along together, right? And I had no chance really because I was in London, no car to to be in nature. So there's a recharging way uh, part that it has for me. The other another way, way that I sometimes think of it is we might all think that in our lives to be fueled to feel truly alive we need to refuel our energy and there are lots of models for thinking about that one of my favorite favorites involves mental physical emotional and spiritual energy and we can talk about those but the spiritual one is the interesting one when it comes to nature for me because the spiritual one is all about do i feel part of something bigger and there's almost no way for me to feel like i'm part of something bigger than to you know, be in the Lake District or, um, you know, the times in my life where I've been lucky enough to be in Yosemite National Park or, um, you know, uh, uh, the um, the Mekong River in Southeast Asia, those kind of tr- true senses of being part of something really big. And, and then the last part of, I guess, the answer to that question, you know, because I, I had a thought that you might ask me something like that, is I realised that I actually also don't, personally really make the distinction between humanity and the natural world mm. um i've seen like i remember when i studied i studied maths at university and i studied traffic flow it was a unit on traffic flow basically maths had got too abstract for me i was trying to find the bits that were less abstract mm. it was a unit about traffic what could be less abstract <laughs> than traffic right i need something i can get hold of amidst all this algebra and um analysis and what was interesting about traffic flow is it's modeled using fluid dynamics so the way that we flow around a city in our cars or, and it's, it's as soon as you've seen this, like when you, if you, if you're in London, you get on the underground, it's impossible not to see everybody as a water molecule bouncing mm. around through the, through the pipes of, of the underground, mm. you know? So because of that and, and other things, I kind of feel like all of my work is about the natural world really, mm. because my work's about humans and we're all a part of that. Mm. And, and in a way that, that's another reason why the, the creativity thing is so important to me because it's like if we're here if we if we trust to some extent in kind of the evolutionary process of emergence of things evolving then what can we do to activate that in humans so that we can transcend and include what we are what we are now and move on to something new and creativity feels like a key part of that for me hmm. yeah i love that there's something um it feels like a, a kind of thread running through all you've talked about today so far is that there is that sense of being part of something bigger, whether that's that elevation you talked about, spirituality, whether that's about, you know, the creativity, heaven on earth piece. So that feels important. And I guess you, you touched on it at the end, and I'd love you to just expand a little bit more about the evolution piece, kind of not us wanting to separate the natural world, as it were, but what we can learn from the natural world when we think about evolution. I think perhaps it's worth saying something about the work of Stephen Pressfield in this moment. So Stephen Pressfield was a huge inspiration to me. You know, in, in some ways, what I'm trying to do with my book, this is not it really, you know, this wasn't thought like this, but this is absolutely it. It's like we follow the lead of people who are inspirational to us. That's one of the things I've noticed in my life anyway. And there's a way in which I would it would be a truly amazing thing for me to find myself ending up in the canon of people like Stephen Pressfield, who have contributed significantly to people's ability to create the things that they want to create. And Stephen Pressfield 
particularly his book, The War of Art, but all his nonfiction books, I get on slightly less well with his fiction, which is another story. But um, but his nonfiction books, and particularly The War of Art, they're about how to win creative battles. That's the way he frames it, frames that. But he frames creativity very broadly, like I do. A lot of that taken from, from his work, you know. He has a list of, he call, so he calls the force that we, the, the force that stops, tries to stop us doing our, winning our creative battles, resistance and mm-hmm. resistance, greatest hits. You know, he has a funny little p- a chapter about that at the start of the book where it includes like, you know, writing, yes, painting, yes, but also um, any project that where the end point is tighter abdominal muscles. You know, that's like, the, you know, all the things that we know we've all set out to do and given up on. Mm-hmm. And like one of the, one of the pieces, the lines in the war of art that, that I don't think will ever leave me is something like this. I'm going to almost get this quote right, I'm sure. And I'm also going to get it wrong, I'm sure. Um, a good rule of thumb, the more resistance we feel towards an action, the more important that action is to our soul's evolution. Mm. So the more difficult we find something, the more procrastination, the more fear we feel, the more important that thing is to our soul's evolution. And I have found that to be true. And the 12-minute method, which led to these books, is a great example of that. I was essentially a practice in, I am feeling huge resistance and fear and anxiety about posting things online mm-hmm. and about writing. Mm-hmm. And what can we do, me and my coach at the time, Joel, to get through that? And what we did was we created a thing where I would write on the train, stop writing when the train stopped, um, and then proofread it once and post it online. And it was just, it was really an exercise in, there's a thing here. I've read Stephen Pressfield. I feel the truth on a deep level that there is something here that's very important for my soul's evolution, which is to not have this fear of, of kind of being public, you know, to not be someone, to become someone who can share generously and um, without this kind of pain, um, whatever that thing that I'm sharing is. And we created this practice and I did it for, two weeks, I think like five times in two weeks. And then from that, it didn't feel good, but it kind of felt right. And that's that feeling piece, Elizabeth, I think on some level, like it wasn't that like, it wasn't that it, it felt easy, but it was like, there was a sense, this is the right thing for me to be doing. This is a good thing for me to be doing. And so I turned it into a weekly practice. And in the end, it, I stopped getting the train and I checked how long it was and it was 12 minutes and that's the 12 minute method. And I now set a timer right while the time is going, stop when it stops, proofread it once, post it online. And that's been going weekly for like five and a half years now. Um, so there are hundreds of those pieces and, and just to tie up the book story, I guess, before coming back to the, the, the why this was my soul's evolution. The, the book was then a kind of shock to me that when I looked at the first um, three years of those pieces that I'd actually been writing about something. I've been writing about this battle that I've been going through. Like, why have I not been doing the thing that I wanted to do? And how do I do it? And not just about the writing, but the other things in my life where that was happening. And also I've been working as a coach for the, the first three years of that. And coaching is really just helping someone do the thing they want to do, but aren't doing. Because if they were doing it already, they wouldn't have a coach, right? So it, all of that was going on. So of course, because I've been writing, again, in this kind of emergent way, if you're writing on the train, you don't really have time to think about what you're going to write about. You just have to start because if you think too much, you've like half your 12 minutes is gone and then you, can't, you haven't really got time to write anything. So you just got to get on with it. So just writing about what I'm interested in every week for three years, mostly it's all the story of, of the creative process, which starts with how do you start and will continue in the other books um, that'll come out this year, this year. So that kind of emerged accidentally. So it's like, I just sat down and let emerge something through me. And we end with 
accidentally something magical created. And I've, since I've done that, I've spoken to other people where that's happened in different ways. And I think a podcast is a great example of that. It's like you already, the two of you have created something and it's a body of work and you knew what some of that would be. And then you'll look back and see, ah, and, and some of it was things we could never have imagined. And there's these themes that have just emerged from these conversations that we've had. And then look, I didn't know it at the time. Like I trusted there was some faith that Stephen Pressfield might be right. It's like you read something sometimes and you have a feeling that he's right, that it's important for my soul's evolution. But there is almost nothing that I have done that is has been more powerful for creating abundance in my life, um, changing who I am, becoming who I could be, um, as starting to write a piece once a week on the train five and a half years ago, and then keeping that going. We could talk about like how that's changed me and all that kind of thing, but I kind of saw it to be true. Uh, so I, I kind of felt it to be true, that, that the things we feel the resistance to, the most resistance to are most important for our soul's evolution. Then I have tested it now for five and a half years on myself in a bunch of different ways. And I have seen it to be at least true that the places where I have felt the most resistance are very important for my soul's evolution. Um, and, and then if we think about that more broadly, there's this, you know, again, thinking that, that we might have this conversation. I had this thought, which is that like, it looks at least from the outside, you know, if, if we think about us evolving as a human, as humans and our souls, that, that there are ways in which some parts of us hold us back from doing that. Right? That's mm -hmm. the resistance piece. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's again, that's that thing. Like, why do we sometimes say we want to do something and not do it? What's going on there? And that, that to my at least, you know, surface level understanding of, of what happens across nature that's quite rare mm. um now i'm hesitant to judge it because it's like i i don't know that it's wrong mm. but i do know that there it feels like there are times when it gets a little out of hand and that there's a possibility that i can be a part of helping that unlock and that we might all want to think about that um and i think mm. just to go back to it this again this conversation and unfurling is a great example of that right because i had no idea that by inviting you katrina to be on a podcast um, two and a half years ago, really, I invited you, you know, because you were someone I knew and I was, I knew we'd have a nice conversation and I wasn't scared yeah. or I was as, as little scared inviting you and the five or six other people I invited at the start to do it as I could, as people I could think of and as confident that I would create something that would be worth it. Now, I had no idea of the unintended consequence of that, which is this conversation now. We don't know what happens when we make something, mm. but like, I'm glad that this is happening and I'm glad that I played even a tiny part of that. Mm. I'm really sensing that kind of what's at play here. There's both that internal piece, you know, our own individual evolution as we, we talk, but also those people on the on the underground, those little molecules of people. There's, there's this kind of bigger systemic piece. Yeah, how do we all, like individually and collectively, help ourselves move in the right direction? And, and how do we define the right direction? What what is right? And those words of you know goodness and beauty as well feel important. Mm. What's coming up for you, Elizabeth? A small point, but I, it jumped out at me in your book was how how hard you used to find it to share things, mm. an article, something on social media, and that resonates strongly. It reminds me of the work of Austin Cleon, who wrote a short book called Show Your Work, and I found that mm. incredibly helpful. And just the process of doing it helps you to do it more. And actually, who who are you to say what ripple effect that sharing will mm. have? And as you're talking, that's coming up for me the kind of domino effect that can happen when we are authentic to the stuff that's inside us wanting to come out. Um, I found that really helpful. And also 
It strikes me how much you're led by feeling. You use the word feeling a lot, the, the feeling that you get when you read Stephen Pressfield and so on, and this idea in your book of following the feeling, where is the greater feeling? But I kind of noticed that it doesn't mean that that feeling always has to be a positive thing. So this feeling of resistance that you're talking about and noticing how that comes up and recognizing that, as you say, it's important to the soul's evolution. So there's something about how do we use these feelings, even when they might be uncomfortable, and even when resistance makes us feel things that are uncomfortable. Like, how, how do you, how does that land with you? Yeah, I think I don't think this is my thought. Might have been Seth Godin, might have been somebody else. But there's the chance to use those uncomfortable feelings as a compass, mm. just as there is to use the the kind of um, yeah in, in that. So in the that bit of the book, the chapter of the book you're talking about, I talk about how when I was, and there's some of this feeling that I'm talking about evolved as I was changing career. And, you know, essentially it was like, there's a lot of situations in life I've discovered. So I'm a thinking person, right? I love thinking and I'm, you know, I'm much better at saying this kind of thing now than I used to be. It's another example of growth. I'm a really good thinker. Like I can think my way around a lot of things. Like I've practiced that a lot. And there are situations in life where that does not help. You know, there's this experiments where they can they can check it because there's people who've had brain injuries. There are things they just can't do. You know, you with only your brain, you with only your thinking, you can't decide where to go for coffee, right? Because there's no in somewhere like London, because there's no end of pros and cons that like you can't consider all ten thousand coffee shops. Mm. It's like I, I had this insight last year that no matter how much I think, I can't think myself hugged. Right? There's a, mm -hmm. a change in myself that happens when I receive a hug. Mm. You know, so and it's great to be able to say this to, for example, my wife because it's like, yeah, when I'm in that state, I've done all the thinking. Um, don't help me think anymore. Just hug me. And like, mm. that'll probably make the difference. Mm. And in my career change, it was like impossible to do it by thinking. I had to be another level of, mm. of, of myself that was used. And so the feeling emerged there. It was like, okay, I'm going to run an experiment essentially. And which of these two gives me a little bit more of that. And I'd started to recognize the essentially intuition at that point. And that has been a practice for me in developing that as time has gone on. Um, which again, I think like in some ways, in the, you know, the thinking self can get tied in knots just like lots of things can. And, you know, in behavioral economics, we could talk about like the, 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 the way in some ways, the, the famous book thinking fast and slow, right. is about how mm -hmm. the feeling self, the intuitive mm -hmm. self ties itself in knots. So not that one is better than the other and we could throw our emotions in there too, but just that they, they're all, they all have a real place if we want to deal with how hard the world can be sometimes mm -hmm. so something about what comes first the thinking or the action the, the the thought to take the step or taking the step and then learning from the step and um i was speaking to a writer recently who was saying that she's given up plotting her books and essays she just starts writing and then about halfway through then she'll come back and sort of start to create a summary and a plot because only then has she understood what the action was directing her to think rather than what the thinking was directing her to write. So there's something about the interplay of both of those. And I think it can become addictive, can't it, to rely too much on our brains and actually discredit or certainly ignore what our bodies are telling us. You know, in the age of information, you are a winner if you can use information and think and so on. And that really can downplay the wisdom in the body living through body and learning and listening through body mm. 
Yeah, I think it's just worth saying. It's like it's hard to you haven't like I've been practicing this for five and a half years now, right? And, mm. and I can still kind of realize and think that it is and empathize that it is hard to understand this idea, right? That there are maybe like let's I'm going to just dress up these three because because they're quite useful ones. We can ha- be in a situation where life is happening to us. This is a chapter in the book. And this is like where it just feels like we're a kind of victim of life. And we can be in a by me space. So life is created by me. And often if, if someone's like sitting down to create their book, for example, by thinking really hard, plotting really carefully, that's quite a by me way to write a book. Mm-hmm. And then there's what if life is happening through me? And this is like hard to understand. It's like, uh, you know, someone will be listening to what you just said, Elizabeth, and be like, sorry, what? The writer mm-hmm. just like sits down and, and it's what the, what I can't remember what exactly, mm-hmm. exactly you said, but what the action mm-hmm. tells the writer about the book. And it's like, sorry, what is going on there? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to practice. Like, again, I, yeah, in my work, both, both are important, right? But mostly what I see is people who are really good at thinking. Um, this is just in some of the work that I do. It's like the, the kind of aim of that book is the people who have done the thinking. And mostly we just need to err a bit on the side of doing the action. Mm. And, you know, for example, how ready do you need to be to start writing your book? You know, in the example of the writer you're talking about, not very, mm. right? Actually, like, and it turns out there are loads of writers who write like that, who essentially their first draft is their plan. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, who says that's wrong? Well, kind of the information thing that you're talking about says mm. it's wrong because we're taught that only that thinking counts a bit mm. more. Mm. Um, but in the world, like nothing good was ever not started. Mm. Right, everything good that was started. I think I got the number of negatives right in that first time, but let's just <laughs> just repeat it. You know, it's like there has to be a moment where we just start, and mm. it is an exciting thing to feel something being written. I would say it happened. I don't know. Some point in the first, I think, six months of my writing practice was the first time I remember finishing it, finishing the piece, and being like, "Oh, what just happened there? Mm. That thing? Yeah, that wasn't really me. Yeah." Yeah, uh, and it was like it was the first. The one I remember anyway was one of the first ones where it felt like the people's response also was different. And so I was like, mm. "Oh, there's something in this. Like, I can do some good by me creation here. And sometimes I'm going to want to let this let this stuff just flow through me and see what happens." And I didn't really know that that was what I was practicing with the 12 minute practice because it was really just get out of my own way. But mm. the by me space was sometimes me getting in my own way, I think. And yeah, and and it was so it was about shifting it more into that through me emergent mm. emergent thing and i think that is a thing if you want to be kind of fit for the challenges of of the world we live in at least in a country like this practicing letting go and letting things emerge through us is a useful thing to practice and you can really tell who does that authentically in writing for example i, I know someone through the coaching world um, called Olivia Owen and she she's someone that also talks about letting kind of the writing kind of come through her and it, it just does and it's it's beautiful and honest and raw what she writes there's something very brave though about doing things through me is that it's not just letting go it's a real trust right and courage I think that, that that's there and um something I, I I guess I wanted just to acknowledge in you as well Robbie it's um when I opened the book and it's about the author and obviously I've known you through the coaching world. And, and for those that don't know Robbie as a coach, um, Robbie's a great coach and actually is very, you know, very well thought of. So you've got that whole, that side of you professionally. But what I love is that you've started, I'm Robbie Swale, a writer and a coach, and that you've actually taken 
owned their identity as a writer. It felt exciting just to see that first sentence. Mm. Yeah, and just to say, like, um, that's, like, not an easy thing uh, for me, like, shifting identity, mm. naming, like, when did I become a writer? Mm. Like, I don't really know. Like, it definitely happened. Was it through this writing practice or was it the things that I've been writing my whole life? You know, was it at some point, some certain number of emails that I'd written? Like, we're all writers in the 21st century. We write, you know, tens of thousands of words every year, at least. You're probably hundreds of thousands if we include WhatsApp. You know, it's like, it's all these words, like we're all writers. And yet, for some reason, sometimes that takes um, a thing like writing a book and it might have even I can't remember it might have been that I with that about the author thing I had my marketer hat on Mm -hmm. and I was like you know really that's about that that thing is like do people keep reading Mm -hmm. like people who don't know who I am do they read that and do they keep reading and if I don't say it might have been if I don't say I'm a writer why would people keep reading or like Mm -hmm. that's one of the things but of course like you know I also think (laughs) it's like Sometimes for me, those shifts of identity, they're like, they, they come from an undeniable amount of evidence that has accumulated in the world that even my little yeah. self can't deny, right? I've been working on the second book. In fact, I've just got it back from the editor just before we record, re- recording this. Um, the second book is about keeping going. Mm. Uh, so how do we keep going when we want to give up? Um, the title is going to be something like that. It's another part of the creative process, right? The second most important thing after starting, if you want to make something that, that, that has an impact is that you don't stop like you don't just give up partway yeah. through and many great ideas and 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 things have been given up on mm. um and one of the things i realized is you know there were people who when i started writing had um had written lots more than me you know i remember a friend of mine had wrote a, a linkedin article about his 100 linkedin articles and lessons from it and i just thought 100 linkedin articles how what how does it you know I'll never catch Alex up. Mm. And I've written 250 odd now. And so there's an undeniable amount of evidence that I am a writer now. So even I have to kind of admit that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love that. So it's really, is really claiming that soul's evolution, going back to that piece. Who knew Mm. that I am someone who would write 250 Mm. articles and who knew all the impacts that would have on me and Mm. who knows and I mean, it's definitely not me. I don't know. No one knows what the impact of those acts of creation are, except that I know, I certainly know the impacts for me. And I think that's one of the things like we can, because of all of that resistance, because of that, that idea about soul's evolution, one person will always be changed if you create something mm. and that is you. Mm. Um, and you can, you can guarantee that. And then if you share it, it's pretty likely that someone else will be changed by it too. Yeah, I think creation is such a, what's the word, Um, contagious thing. Um, And there's something about Mm. seeing someone else stepping into their own creativity and living it that calls out our own creativity. Well, certainly that's what I've experienced, particularly through writing. And it's, 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 soul speaking to soul or something, isn't Mm. it? Or a creative energy Mm. speaking to creative energy and, yeah, it gets harder and harder to stand in the way of that, I think. Yeah, I, I heard this great um, interview. Uh, like I mentioned Tim Ferriss earlier on, as a, I, think, I think it was after we switched on the recording as an inspiration for, for my podcasting. Maybe it was before, actually, and, and therefore a little inspiration down the lineage, perhaps for this show. And I don't listen to that much anymore, but my brother told me about this episode with a man whose name I have completely 
forgotten, but the episode is called The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. Mm-hmm. There's this amazing story about this guy who runs a um, wildlife reserve in South Africa. And in that episode, they talk about um, activism through the way of being, something like that. So it's like the best way to change people. And I think there's also, mm-hmm. this is the, going back to how do we make sure we're making a difference in a good way and not causing more harm through the actions we do. Uh, a good way is to change ourselves and then to trust that that is activism in and of itself. And you've just given an amazing, I loved it. I wrote it down, Elizabeth, that creativity is contagious. It is completely true. And Katrina, you talked about the kind of seeing acts of courage and vulnerability in creation and how you know that too is contagious essentially. Um, and it's like, there's a way in which it feels what we say, like complexity fit to me to transform myself in a way that I, I can feel is good and right mm. for me, that there will be some ripple of that that I can't see. And I can trust as well as I can trust anything, much more than I can trust telling other people what to do, for example. Mm. As, as, far, as far as I can trust anything, if I change in a way that feels a part of my soul's evolution, that will have... Um, that will have a more positive ripple than negative. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So there's something about there's some quote I can't remember who it's by about trees. Maybe it's the author Herman Hess saying something like a tree can only ever be a tree. Like it's not trying to be anything else other than the species of tree it is. And as you were talking, that came to mind. There's something about, and that's something I'm. You know, I've only just met you on this screen, but. I can feel your authenticity and your kind of um, this search, the search for right, the right move and, and the search for the right feeling, the one that will move us forward and call us out and call others out through that. Um, and there's something about, yeah, it, it does come down to that inner work, the work on ourselves um, and being the, the most me like me I can be. And if I do that with integrity and with authenticity, then, you know, it's not up to me to control where that ripples, but just trust it does ripple somehow. Um, that's something I really hear in your work. Yeah, it's very lovely to hear you say that. And I just kind of got this thought as well, just like, if that is the, and this was basically true of the 12 minute writing practice, the 12 minute method. If that is your aim, then you actually can't fail. Mm. Then so like, in your creativity. So if, if the aim is to do all those beautiful things that you just said, to be the, the, the truest version of me in this case, to be the kind of tree that I was born to be, mm. uh, then no matter how well my, if my writing practice is a part of that, if I recognize on some level through the f- uncomfortable feeling that I, of resistance that I get about it, or through the, the kind of you know, little pulling feeling of yes that I that I get about it, or both, most likely both. Um, you know, most likely we can hear our fear telling us to do something or not to do it, and our wisdom at the same time. If we can get both of those two things, then actually the practice um, is success in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly that's where I started this 12-minute writing mm-hmm. practice from. You know, it's like, that, as I said in the story, it's like, how do I change myself? And if that, that can be your practice if whether you're starting you know, uh, you're opening a new cafe. What if it's about, can I be the truest version of me and live that through this business that I'm starting or whether it's about a relationship that someone's embarking on or, you know, it's like, 
not every cafe will survive. Not every article will be read. Not every article will be good. It's quite mm. a few rubbish ones that I've written over five and a half years of writing every week, right? Although I have definitely got better at it. But if it's all about that practice, mm. then there's success. Uh, what, yeah, what um, the writer Fred Kaufman might call success beyond success there. Mm. Well, it's a challenge to what success is, isn't it? It's not about the titles or the the numbers even you're, you're not saying oh look at the number of readers I've got or it's really hard that. not to do that Katrina I don't oh, want to say I, I never do that right and, like, and you know there's a part of me that's like that too you know so yeah. but but that hasn't been coming forward right so even if that's there more on a secondary level it feels that there's a much more generous space that's at play here that, it, that yeah, I choose about. to try and stay in that place yeah. and I don't always manage it and yeah. and, and then and then strategically there's there's times when I deliberately don't do it you know yeah. I think more carefully about the titles now the titles mm. of my pieces feel more about being a gateway mm. than a part of the piece these days at first it was just like I don't care what the title is because that's resistance me worrying about what's called this is resistance and then what I found is I've written some what I think are really beautiful pieces or have some of my most original thinking in it there's one called something like and then I just gave it a title and there's one really one that I just really like. I just thought it's one of my most original pieces of thinking, but I called it something like drugs, organizing and thermodynamics. So obviously no one read that piece. Like, why would you? Um, and then if, if I, I wrote one recently, yeah. you know, which in some ways is much less interesting. It's essentially a book review of how to win friends and influence people, which I called the three key steps of influence. Loads of pe- more people read it, clicked mm-hmm. it, commented on it. Was it more speech marks interesting? Was it a bigger expression of my, um, my, mm. what do you call it? Like soul's evolution? No, but it's like, so, so, so there are, there are places yeah. where it's worth thinking about that. Um, mm-hmm. if you want your work to reach out and, mm-hmm. you know, but, but yeah, the, my aim is always to, um, be in that more generous space and then this is the kind of crazy stuff that, that you get into if you think about how people work as, as much as I do, then there probably comes a point where not thinking about the title is a form of resistance because I'm actually holding myself back and my work back mm. from reaching more people mm. out of some fear on some level. I don't know like what it is, but it's like there's a point at which not thinking about the title is me letting myself out into the world. And then there's possibly a point at which like me being 10, why am I not spending 10% more thought to be a bit more skillful about how this reaches people. Who is that helping? Mm. It's not helping me. It's not helping the people it might reach. So it's like, mm. well, it gets it gets tangled in this in yeah. this space between possibility and and creation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not making strategy marketing classic success wrong. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah, of nice. it's kind of holding exactly. it holding it lightly brilliant. where it's needed. Yeah. Brilliant. So your your work is nuanced and there's lots to it there's lots in your book but if we were beginning to kind of wrap this conversation up if you were to think about some takeaways or some tips or just creaming off some of the top of the wisdom that that you've discovered for listeners that that are thinking about taking the next right step um and and moving in the right direction or even just thinking, how, how do I move? I feel stuck. How do I move? What would you, what would you leave with them? Hopefully, for those people, I guess like one of the things I'm aware of, Elizabeth, is, like I try and say this in, in the books, is it'll be a different thing for everyone. So that's the way the book's written, right? Mm. The, the start book is a, a collection 
like it's contained in the story of the 12 minute method, some of which I've told in this episode, but can, it's also 30 odd chapters, each of which might be the little spark mm. that for that person is the, is the thing that will get them moving. That's my aim, you know, but look the the lessons, maybe there's two, two big ones that I feel like I've learned from this 12 minute writing practice. So one is that starting if you start something and you do it for even just 12 minutes a week, by the end of several years, you've like created something substantial. You know, I had, I had 80, 90,000 words, right. Created 12 minutes at a time. It was actually, I decided in the end was, like I said, too long for one book uh, and it was better suited to being four. So I, it's like, I could never have predicted that that would, what I would, was what I would do. And it's such a like, you know, there's these things that we can obviously know on an intellectual level, which is that if you add lots of 12 minutes together, they become something big. And yet I'd never used that idea before consciously to do anything. You know, to say in three years, I want to have a book, but the way I'm going to choose to do that is to do it one week at a time. And now I've seen it. It's like, it's hard to see the world without that insight basically for me it's like a pair of glasses that i can put on at any moment and and think about something in that way and and i guess the other is so so the first one would be start right and develop a you know find a practice there's a little worksheet that you can get if you buy the book um actually i'll send i'll give a link so if listeners just want to um yeah if listeners just want to get that worksheet i'll find a um I'll, i'll create a link so that they can just have it um thank you and um, in that worksheet, you can also find this in, there's a 12 minute method Facebook group. Um, if people want to join that, but it's like, you can create that actively as a practice. The worksheet helps do that. It's like, look, here's a way to build a practice, um, where, uh, you know, where we start from the place that I started, which is who do you want to become? And then how do you do, how, how might you do that? You know, 12 minutes a week. And the other one is just, which, which ties into that, I guess, is like, the, the persistence can be the superpower. Like I didn't know that was a thing that I could do that not everyone does. But I now know that I'm someone who, if I sit down for six and a, you know, for, I can, I'm someone who can create a practice and then do it every week for five and a half years. And essentially what's interesting about that is it makes anything possible. Because that means that I, like, that sounds grand, but it's really what feels true to me. It's like not anything's not possible today or this year. But if I know, if I can create a thing if I want to be something or have done something, if I can create a thing that if I repeat it enough times, I'll be that person or do that thing. I know I'm someone who can stick with that. now, And that's an incredible thing. So I really recommend also to just p- develop that practice, choose something, you know, maybe people can do this with, I do it with Duolingo as well. Right. In, in that, I thought that might be what we're going to talk about Katrina in the about section. I list some things that I've mm. beaten procrastination to do. And one of them is I have like, a, I think it's like 1200 and, 50 day Duolingo streak. So I've been learning Spanish every day for 1250 days, actually more than that. I broke the streak and then had another year before that. So, so it's like in, in the end, I will be able to speak Spanish really well. Now I can speak it very, very averagely. And, you know, a Spanish person speaking to me, I couldn't understand, but it's like, I'll get there. Um, so that's the other thing. So one thing would be to start. And another mm-hmm. thing would be like, choose something where, and then make a promise to yourself that you'll do it. And then keep that promise and develop the ability to keep your promise to yourself because then much more becomes possible. So Robbie, just in terms, you've mentioned them, um, some of them briefly, Um, just thinking about resources for our listeners. um, 
be great just we'll we'll put them all in the show notes but it'd be great just to to list out what are the key things for people to look at for your work and if there's anything else that you think they should be thinking about reading or exploring yeah so look you can find lots about me including the 12 minute the whole 12 minute blog archive at robbyswale.com and um, it's all on there now as well as on linkedin um, the book is on amazon but also you know blackwells or waterstones websites if you prefer um, and it's called how to start when you're stuck um, and the the second book will be out pretty soon as well um and also i should say like yeah i mean you know i've mentioned a few authors whose work i i love you'll find throughout my work i love one of the things i love to do is one of my um strengths is to like collect these ideas and, and then share them with people and so you'll find throughout the the 12 minute articles if you read them on the books mentions of authors and um uh other ideas that, that you can kind of follow the thread of if if you want to i mentioned stephen pressfield today that kind of if you don't quite if you if you if you want something about creativity but it doesn't feel like my flavor is what you want stephen pressfield is a good place to go um mm-hmm. if you don't like either of our flavors elizabeth gilbert's book big big magic is a great place to go so big fan of that book it, it, exactly it's mm-hmm. it's absolutely beautiful and um really tackles lots of the same things that 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 pressfield is covering in the war of art but obviously with with liz gilbert's flavor so those are beautiful places to go um to go to to kind of get that get maybe get a bit of that contagious creativity and sense mm. of that things are possible. Mm. Real, thank you. Thanks. There's lots there. I'll be digging into some of that. Um, so thanks for sharing. It was really good to connect with you today. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure having you join us, Robbie. And yeah, I'm feeling well. You know, some sparks, some sparks of creativity in myself. Actually, we will be sharing more and later in this episode about unfurlings you know next right step so thank you for some extra energy around that and for your your more general wisdom yeah well thank you so much for having me and giving me your beautiful presences um you know i feel like new thoughts new phrasings have emerged in this conversation that's really wonderful and yeah i'm really excited to see how unfurling unfurls thank you thank you robbie I really enjoyed that conversation with Robbie. Mm. Yeah, it was I, it was a generative one, wasn't it? Mm, I was aware of his work through you, but it was really nice to see and hear and feel him thinking about this stuff. Um, There's a few things, especially that I really appreciated. One was really just this sense of non-duality that I see with him. So mm. he's able to harness or recognize, you know, fear and wisdom at the same time, mm. and use them both or learn from them both and be guided by them both. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's quite an art to do that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of art, I also appreciated his recognition of the role of poetry in some mm-hmm. of this stuff. So we were talking about releasing the creative potential in, in each of us for the good of the world and how sometimes the myth stories and poetry, and I think the origin of the word poetry is poesis, which is about formation, you know, mm-hmm. cr- cr- creation really resonated you know sometimes we do have to go to a a a deeper level or a more poetic creative level to to do good in the world Mm -hmm. the other thing that jumped out at me towards the end when he was sharing the lessons that he's he's learned is 
he said something like, who do you want to become and how will you do that in 12 minutes a week using his example? Mm. But the idea of who do you want to become resonated because when I think about movement, the question comes up, you know, for the sake of what or towards what, mm. you know, we can just move because movement is seen to be a good thing. It's better to do something rather than nothing. But I had this real sense with him um, of, yeah, who, who do you want to become? What do mm. you want to see in the world? What do you want to bring forth? And letting that fit with your compass and, and help guide the next step. So there's something about, yeah, you don't have to have it all planned out, but but having that sense of who do you want to become or what do you want to create? Maybe that's enough to kind of start that process of moving in the right direction. And then the other thing that, that I've been thinking off the back of the conversation is I absolutely agree that, you know, we should do no harm, that we should should work on our inner stuff and and get our relationship right with ourselves first and foremost and one of my lessons also is that 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 often is modulated or calibrated or just informed by community around us you know and being alongside people who aren't necessarily like us actually we notice our response to people who aren't like us and who are like us and and think why why is that what does that teach me about myself and there's something for me about the connection between inner work and um, inner rightness and inner authenticity and it's ongoing work but marrying that with the outer connection the outer community the outer work Mm. and the links between the two because I think you can we can easily fall into one or the other and I think falling too much into the community side of things can be almost activism and action without any sense of self-awareness and self-health so I think it's a kind of yeah, it's, it's a connection between the two. Um, and that's certainly in some of my work is something I've been thinking about a lot. You know, the conversation has definitely prompted more of that. What landed with you, Kat? Yeah, I guess um, continuing that that theme around community, something that, that struck me was that I felt this real sense of pulsation, like this pulsing of humanity, you know, mm. whether that be on the London underground or, I don't know, out in the countryside, whoever, you know, wherever you are, but there's... It is about being part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I felt like that, you know, that there is that that space and, and calling for us to really get clear on what we want to put out in the world and, and, and start. And mm. it's within wanting to better the world with other people. That felt important. And I guess as I think about starting something, I was thinking 12 minutes a week. That sounds easy. And I was like, well, where would I fit that in? That's how my brain was going a little bit. Mm. And what I realized is 12 minutes a week is absolutely fine. Of course it is. You know, I watch TV programs for hours. There's there's time that can be created. But really for it to be um, a joyful experience for me, it's about shedding other things. Mm. You know, it's not about adding more. It's about really being honest and looking at my life and being like, what is not serving me or my family or my community? what is time to let go of I think that's that's important as well so it's the context around yeah what actually is a very attractive proposition 12 minutes a week yeah Mm -hmm. I can do that um Mm -hmm. so that felt important and I guess the other thing that's um been prompted in me um as I mentioned I've come back recently from Spain and in Elche there's this this, it's called it's part of part of what's called the Palmaral which is a world heritage UNESCO site with something like 200,000 palms we were staying in a hotel where we were essentially in mini lodges surrounded by the palms and in the garden there was what's called la cobra 
or the cobra. And it's a palm that essentially three quarters of the trunk is lying on the ground. If you imagine going from right to left. And then the final quarter stretches up completely vertically like a cobra. You know, apparently TV interviews take place there. It's quite a well-known sight. And there was something in me just thinking about right movement. We can assume that something that's been dormant or could even look dead, actually, can still have life in it and hope. And we don't necessarily know what controls that or, you know, if we have control over that. But but there's something that was a reminder for me about, and maybe it's about times in life. You know, I love the idea of, of, you know, having it all over a lifetime. What we've been talking about, there's also the time element to it. When's the right time as well? And and hope and bringing in hope into this work that things can suddenly spring up like this palm tree. Along these lines, just across the road from where we were staying, um, there was a place called the Huerto del Cura, which is their botanical gardens. And in that, um, there's this really unusual palm tree. And if you can imagine, it's got um, the trunk um, and at an unusual height of two meters above the ground. It basically then kind of sprung forth eight stems and they're like proper big trunks. So you've got this, this one trunk supporting eight trunks above it. It's really unusual. And there's part of me that's, that was really astounded by that. But, but equally, I noticed that there's a lot of metalwork now keeping that tree in place, holding it, supporting it. So there's a question for me about right steps, right direction. It's about what support do we give ourselves? Do we seek from others? And where do we let things go? Where do we let them actually fall apart if they need to fall apart? So yeah, I don't know that the images, the palms from Elche kind of seem to have some wisdom on this topic at the moment for me. Mm. Yeah. They're really striking imagery. Mm. I haven't even seen them, but yeah. I can picture them really clearly from what you've mm. described. Yeah. And this idea of things being dormant, you know, who who are we to judge whether they're alive or yeah. sick or dead and actually decaying? Um, and often it's hard to tell with a glance. I think of that, you know, we've got spring springing outside the window and everything's growing in the hedgerows and all the buds are blooming into life. But a couple of months ago, everything was still and dormant. And mm. if you were just to glance at it, you'd think there was no life at all. Mm. But it's all there under the mm. soil waiting to to come up. So it's, yeah, I think that's interesting. And speaking of trees, as you were speaking, I was reminded of the baobab trees in Africa. Mm. Um, these are sort of ancient, really strange looking trees. Someone told me that it can take a 100 years for a baobab tree to put forth its fruit oh. it doesn't fruit for that long um and it's obviously waiting for some cue some mm-hmm. signal maybe it's enough water i don't know maybe it's its roots being deep enough i don't know but to be that patient and and, and kind of you know not rushing and at the right time the fruit shows mm-hmm. i don't know that that just popped into my head you know that tree always knew that ultimately it would make fruit mm-hmm. um but it didn't know when and actually sometimes we can get addicted to schedules and, and timetabling and having everything mm. done today. Um, but actually maybe the fruit comes later. Mm. And it's that going back to what Robbie was saying, the persistence, mm-hmm. the 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 repetition of things that for him have created this fruit of a book. Yep. Um 
for other people it's other things but there's something about don't get too you know beholden to a timetable or to mm. to kind of a sense of what 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 the timing should be mm. um if you're going back to that question that he named who do you want to become maybe that's enough to, mm. to guide to guide the next steps maybe you don't mm. need to know exactly when that will come to fruition mm. I also got thinking about walking as well because I I walk a lot and have been did some training and and so on to become a hill and moorland leader and I noticed this temptation to sort of over rely on maps sometimes but in the the training you know the the um, trainers would say you know just before you even get out your map if you're in the middle of nowhere just use your eyes look at the landscape first read the landscape look at the natural mm. you know features and rivers and look at the light look at look at all the things that your body your senses your eyes tell you before you get your map out because it's very easy to see what you want to see on a map and to kind of try and make the landscape mm. fit the map mm. but actually start with landscape start with where you know you want to be heading mm. and then find the next right steps from there so it feels like there's a real sense of awareness this essentially is what we're, we're talking about awareness mm. of self and what's important yeah for oneself and then awareness of one's geography and context and where mm. one wants to be, whether that's professionally, whether that's literally. I mean, I actually have a necklace on and on the back, it says, find your true North. And I just carry that around. So for me, that's a little sign each day that yeah. it's something that's guiding me. And I think what I really appreciate about our discussion with Robbie just now is, is that I mentioned hope earlier that I feel like a real sense of hope those small what can see small actions it's not really about the actions it's not even about the book that comes out of those Mm. writings it's about trusting oneself believing in oneself honoring oneself and and being responsible um Mm. and I think that's that's really important and can serve us individually and collectively really really nicely yeah lots to mull over there I'm sure it will sit with us for a while but yeah like you it it felt hopeful it felt like there was an energy to it that will definitely guide us as we move forward individually but also with unfurling yes indeed uh so as we mentioned at the start of this episode um today's episode is the final one of this season two Elizabeth and I are going to take a pause on the podcasts I'm sure there'll be more we just don't have a timetable as you were just talking about and it's nicely connected and we've been thinking about what are our next right steps as unfurling and it's not to preclude other opportunities coming up um, but we're thinking what's the the one next right step for us if we're being proactive and for us it's writing a book it's something that's been kind of increasingly emerging in our conversations hasn't it mm, Katrina mm. this sense that it's been really fun doing episodes on all kinds of things in unfurling and there's so many little gems and lessons and inspirations we've had along the way so really it began with the thought of kind of how do we curate that stuff how do we gather it into a place where we and maybe others can use it and think about how it applies to their own lives Mm. so that was where the thought started yeah yeah and and we're not attached to what we cover or or what the outcome is we have some ideas as to where Mm. focus might be 
But at this stage, it just feels like the right next step for us, for the ideas, um, for making it accessible in a different way. For some people, podcasts are great. Others enjoy reading or Mm. or flicking through, more like me. And so we're going to be spending some time writing. And I'm personally really excited about that because I enjoy reading and I'm increasingly writing in other parts of my life anyway. So there feels a lovely sort of merging of ways of being and ways of expressing mm-hmm. some of this stuff, um, which I'm enjoying. But yeah, we, you know, we, we, as you say, we don't have a kind of grand plan or an idea of timetable really, but it's this sense of there's something right about this. There's, there's mm-hmm. something, there is a next right step here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this feels like the way of honoring it at the moment. Yeah. For me, it feels like when I, I mentioned about acknowledging Robbie as claiming himself as a writer, mm. Mm. I used to be a great writer as a kid. I, I wrote chapters of books. You know, I've still got them upstairs. Um, and somehow I just, mm. I just let it go. And I don't, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself a writer now. So I'm excited to, to reconnect with, with that part of myself and uh, feel honoured and happy to be doing it with you Elizabeth as as you are already a very established and well thought of writer good words established well thought of mm. that's very generous of you maybe something moving towards those things but I'm enjoying the journey and that's the that's the main thing I'd also love to read the big chapters of books that you've got <laughs> hidden away upstairs somewhere they're all very <laughs> crime related it's quite interesting mm-hmm. oh maybe there's a crime writer in I know. yet I, yeah so we'll keep everyone posted. We have a Facebook group. You can search Unfurling Podcast. We have a website, which is unfurling.co.uk. And I guess, yeah, we don't we don't know how this will come out and when, but it's something we're actively thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Watch this space. And if you know any good publishers, you know, you can always start dropping hints that we are worth publishing. <laughs> we so are. <laughs> Brilliant. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So with that, well, it's been a real pleasure doing this season with yeah. you, Elizabeth. Um, fun to have brought in guides for some of the episodes. I think that's brought a richness to mm. the podcasts. And so thank you to everyone that's appeared as guides on this podcast. And thank you mm, to yeah, thank you. all the listeners that either are regular listeners or people that just come to one episode because it particularly interests them. We appreciate you all. Mm, yeah. Thank you. It's a really lovely way to spend time being in conversation with you Kat, mm. and with our listeners as well and so yeah thank you everyone for listening yeah okay and with that then you've been listening to the final episode of season two of unfurling which is a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire 